morning, church. Super Bowl Sunday. I'm a big fan of the of football and I'm super excited, but this year's a little different. I don't think the question is who are you going for? At least for me, the question is what are you grilling? Because if we're honest, and this is just me, right? I only know two people, two friends of mine that are really Chief fans or really Buccaneer fans. Everybody else is like, eh, Brady or whoever, right? The rest of the world is, is thinking that. But that's what today is. But even better than that, as Idla said, we start our, a new series on First Thessalonians, and we're excited about that. As I started preparing for this sermon, I, I started thinking back in my life who I used to be before Christ. And I wasn't much different physically, but man, was I different spiritually. God was so far away from my life, it was unbelievable. Never pursuing God in any form or fashion, never going to church, definitely never ever reading his word. I was pursuing things of this world. I was searching after things that would make me happy, or probably a better word, make me feel satisfied. And I thought that it was money. And I've shared this with you guys before. I was chasing after the idol of money because I thought that would make me feel happy. That would make me feel confident. That would make me feel secure. But that, that chase was never ending. The more I, money I got, the less satisfaction and happiness, happiness I got. Let me ask you, those of you that trusted Jesus Christ, do you know what I'm talking about? Are you different? I hear all the time from people, from guys in our small group, man, I used to cuss and I don't cuss anymore. I used to drink and I don't drink anymore. I used to, used to, but not anymore. I am a different purpose, person. My purpose is now just trying to be more like Christ. Is that true in your life? Who you used to be? is not the person you are now. See, the truth is this. For any believer, any person who's put their trust in Jesus Christ, here's fact number one. We were dead to our sins. We were chasing after the prince of the earth, which is the enemy, Satan. We didn't have a choice. We didn't have the Holy Spirit in us to be able to be able to change. As a matter of fact, Paul puts it very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2. This is what he says, verse 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses of your sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Again, the devil, Satan, that's who we're following. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Don't miss that. We're all before Christ destined to receive God's wrath by nature. That's where you and I before Christ were. Fact number one. Fact number two, from every believer, and one of my favorite words in the Bible are these, but God. Verse four, but God, Paul says, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even, I love that, even when we were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ, how by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Fact number one, we were all dead to our sins. Fact number two, but God, because of his love and his mercy, made us alive in Christ. Isn't that awesome? That's who we used to be. And anyone who hasn't put their trust in Jesus Christ is destined to receive God's wrath. We were once dead and now we're alive. And today what we're going to do is flesh out fact number three. For every believer, and this is what we're going to see in today's verses and your point for today, is every single person is chosen who believes in Jesus Christ is change and should be confident, should have hope. Three facts, dead to our sins, alive in Christ, we are changed because we've been chosen. And with that, we have confidence, we have the hope. That's what we're gonna flesh out as we begin our new series in 1 Thessalonians. And the overarching theme of this series as we're gonna see through this whole book is this, is that we need to live in faith, love, and hope in light of the past and in view of the future. Faith, love, and hope. We put our trust in Jesus Christ by faith. We live in love, in community, in this church with each other in this present time, and we can do this, why? Because we have the hope, we have the confidence that one day Jesus is gonna return and make things all new again, all good again. And that's what we're going to see. That's the overarching theme in 1 Thessalonians. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to cover the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, verses 1 through 10. And this is the way Paul opens his letter to the church in Thessalonica. He says this, Paul Salvanus, Salvanus is also known as Silas. That is his Roman name. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. He says this in his introduction, grace to you and peace. Shalom in Hebrew. He starts off by saying, because you receive the grace of God, you have peace. It's not peace in this earth, it's peace from the wrath of God. And I'll explain to you later what he means by that. So that's how he opens up. Now, let me give you a little bit of background on who he's writing this letter to. Paul, Timothy, and Silas, they went out to this city in Thessalonica. And we see the history behind that in Acts 17. They probably were there a month or so. They planted a church. And when Paul arrived with these two other men, they went and preached in the temple. They had a big Jewish community because it was a pretty big city. And after they received the gospel, after Paul taught and preached the gospel, these people, these early Christians in Thessalonica, Nica, I don't know how you pronounce the city, were changed. And people noticed that change. And that's what Paul is going to say throughout this first chapter. I can recognize the change in you and so can others. Now, Paul visited this city. These three men visited this city. It's probably about 50 AD. And again, we also 
read that Timothy and Silas were well known in this early church. So when he writes this letter, as we're going to see, even though Paul is the author, he mentions these other two guys, these other brothers in Christ, and he uses the word we, or uses a plural tense to share, to explain that we are in agreement with this. It's not only I'm writing this, he says we all are writing this because we all believe in this truth. So he goes on in verse 2. Here's my point. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your, and I always write down these things when I see things that are listed, work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Right off the bat, he gives us a message of this whole book. Faith, love, hope. And notice as he says, your work of faith. Now that word work, that word work in in Greek is specific. In other words, he's saying you have a specific job in your faith. You specifically. God chose you for a certain reason to live out your faith specifically. And then that word labor in Greek, it's intense. It's hard. And he says, I know the labor of love is difficult. It's hard for us to love one another. And then he says, the steadfastness, the hope we have. And we're going to see as well that these early Christians were being persecuted. The Jewish community was hating on these Christians. But they lived with hope. Again, why? Because they know, as we need to know, that one day he is returning and every knee will bow. He goes on in verse 4. For we know, he's saying, there is no doubt, brothers, loved by God, that he, talking about God, has chosen you. That word chosen in Greek is pronounced ikloge, which we get our English word election. I'm going to pause here for a little bit and talk about the doctrine of election, predestination. Now, this doctrine, this truth, as I'm about to show you how God speaks about this truth through several verses in the Bible, is one of the most argued doctrines in our evangelical church today. What is predestination? What is the doctrine of election? Simply put is that God has chosen before creation, before time, those who would spend an eternity with him. I say that, and some of you are saying, whoa, 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 wait, what are you talking about? That God, before anything was created, even time itself, chose me? And so when I say these truths, and when others buck against this truth, this is what they're really thinking. How could he? It's not fair. That's not God. God is love. What are you talking about? God is also just. And when you say it's not fair, let me just say two things. And we read this in the book of Job. When Job is saying, God, what did I do? What did I do? How come I'm suffering? All these other things. He doesn't. God doesn't give him an explanation of why he's doing what he's doing. You know why? Because God is God. He can do whatever God wills. We are the clay, and he is the potter. So if he chose, which he did, who would spend eternity with him? It's up to him. 
Again, but it's not fair. Some people complain. complain. It's not fair. How could that? No way. You know what's not fair? That any of us are chosen. That's not fair. Because the only one who is worthy is Jesus Christ. Because we're all before Christ, destined to spend eternity without him. But God, but God, that's the doctrine of election. And don't believe me, believe God's word. And let me share something with you. I love what Charles Spurgeon talks about this doctrine. He says this, I believe that nothing happens apart from divine determination and decree. We shall never be able to escape from the doctrine of divine predestination, the doctrine that God has foreordained certain people unto eternal life. I'm going to share with you just some verses, but there are so many verses in the Bible about this doctrine. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. Who chose us? He, God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before Anything existed before creation, before time, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined. Who predestined? God, he. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It's his will remember we seeing that he is the one that does that we just read in the beginning of this sermon in ephesians 2 we were dead what can a dead person do nothing have you ever seen a dead person they're dead you and i can't do anything for our salvation it's him choosing you choosing me because of his love before the foundation of time Some people say, well, God foreknew. He knew that you were going to choose Jesus Christ. Of course, he knows all things. But God doesn't stand here and look into the future. God is above everything, the past, the present, and the future. When he spoke creation, when he spoke time into creation, he said already that you were going to spend time with him in eternity. He predestined since the beginning that we would be with him. Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Why? In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Who called? Who chose? Who justified? Who glorified? He, God. It's predestined. It's his will. Romans 9, verses 10 through 13. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our father Isaac, though they were not yet born, this is Paul writing, and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might, be, might continue, not because of work, but because of 
him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger as it is written. Jacob, I love, he's quoting God, but Esau, I hate it. There's so many other verses. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'm going to list them because they're so important. Go back and, and, and let the Holy Spirit work in you on this doctrine. John chapter 6, verses 39 through 44. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Deuteronomy 7, 7. Romans 8, 33. Luke 18, verses 6 through 7. We're filming this, so you can go back and pause it. Acts 13, 48. 2 Timothy 1, 9. And I can go on and on and on. See, this being chosen, this fact number three that we're chosen should bring you to your knees and say, God, why me? Wow. Not to bring you prideful, but to humble you. So you want to serve nothing else. Don't chase after any idols but God. That's what this doctrine tells me. That's what the doctrine should tell you. The fact that you're chosen. The fact that we're loved. The fact that we'll be called children of God. To me, is just, wow. The more you realize how undeserving we are, the more you fall in love with Jesus Christ. That's being chosen. But then Paul talks about how we are changed. Again, verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Why? How do you know you're chosen? Because our gospel came to you not only, and I'm listing again, in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. How? With full conviction. Paul says our gospel. Now, he's not saying, look, I'm making up this gospel. He's saying it's our gospel. He's making this personal. It's my gospel. I get it. It's changed me. I understand it. A little history on who this Paul was. He used to be called Saul. He would literally persecute and kill all Christians. He was against Christ. And one day on the road to Damascus, the living Christ presented himself before him, and he was changed. That's why he says, I know the power of the gospel. It's my gospel, and anyone who receives the gospel is changed, and you can say it's my gospel because it's changed me. It's personal to me. The gospel, he says, the gospel, not only in word, in other words, is not the words he said. It's the power. In Greek, it's the dunamis where we get the word dynamite. It's a power of the Holy Spirit with full conviction. What does that mean? With full confidence. It's the truth of the gospel, the power of the gospel that changes, that saves. You are chosen. How do you know you're chosen? Because you've received the gospel. And the gospel transforms you from the inside out. You are changed. Paul writes in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. The gospel, God's word, changes you from being dead to your sins to being alive in Christ. I was dead. I didn't know it. Chasing after the things of this world. But God, one day led me to go to Starbucks. This man reading the Bible, just sitting there, sharing the word with someone else. I, don't, I didn't know it back then, but I know now that the power of the Holy Spirit encouraged me to get up and ask this man, what are you reading? 
And he shared with me, and I don't know what verses, and I don't know because it wasn't the words. It was a power behind the words. Two days later, I received the gospel, and I was changed. Man, I thought I was happy then. I'm happy now. There's a change that happens within us. The Holy Spirit dwells now in us. We're a child of God. And that change is evident in our desires, not of this world, but in God. But it also changes the way we live, the way we act. Paul, as an example, he was changed from persecuting, persecuting the Christians to planting churches all over, all over the nation. And this is what he says about the change that he sees in these people in Thessalonica, verse 5. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us. In other words, he's saying you saw something in us and you wanted to imitate us. And of the Lord. You're imitating us because we're imitating Christ. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy. Now catch this. They were changed among struggles and they were changed with joy. They had that confidence. With the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You saw who we were. You liked who we were. You changed. And now other people are seeing who you are. And they want to be like you. Discipleship. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, Macedonia and Achaia. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we not sayeth. A thing he says isn't that awesome you saw how we received the gospel Paul is saying you saw Silas you saw Timothy you saw the change of us in us you wanted that change so you received the gospel you realized you were chosen you were loved the power of the Holy Spirit dwells in you and people are watching that and now he says I don't even have to say a word your actions he's saying speak louder than words why because you're living in faith with love and you have that hope that hope in Jesus Christ. You can say with joy, I am a Christian amongst your struggles because you know that the Lord of Lords is coming back and hail as King of Kings. He goes on and says this, verse 8, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so we not say anything. That's the testimony of the power of God changing every believer. In my walk, I saw a change in my sister-in-law. And I said, if she changes, I can change. If she has that love and faith and hope, I want that. Who's been that in your life? Who have you said, I want that? That's what Paul is telling the church, and that's what God is telling you and me through his word. You're chosen, you're chained, changed, and lastly, you're confident. Every believer has that hope and that confidence in Jesus Christ. Verses 9 through 10, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And you wait for his son from heaven, whom he's raised from the dead. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's the joy. That's the hope that Jesus Christ 
came to earth, the gospel, lived a perfect life. And he took the wrath. What wrath? The wrath of God's judgment. The punishment that God has for you and for me and every, anybody who doesn't put their trust in Jesus Christ. When he opened up this letter, Paul said, Shalom. Grace and peace. You've got peace from God. You're no longer going to get his wrath because you've been saved by grace. That's the fact. So because of that, because we're no longer destined to hell, because when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, you're alive again. Your sins have been forgiven. When you believe that in your heart, you're relieved of the wrath that's to come. I want to live a life that's an example to others. I want to follow Christ. And I want people to point at me and say, I want that. What about you? Let's start at home. Dads, moms. If I were to ask your children, would you like to imitate the way your dad acts or your mom acts? What would they say? Do people let your work come and say, you're different? Or do you just blend in like everybody else with no hope? I want my boys to be better men, a better man than I ever was. Not because of their financial success, because of their love for God. Church, I don't need to say over and over and over again that we're living in some times that have no hope. Don't blend in to the rest of the world that has no hope. See, my hope is not here. Your hope should not be here. Your hope should be in eternity. I tell you with all confidence and all joy, if I were to die today, I'd be okay. I'd ask God not to take me before the Steelers win another Super Bowl, but I'd be okay. I'm not scared. COVID, hear me. Don't send some hate emails. Protect yourselves. Be cautious. Protect others. But what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? If I die, I'm good. That's the best that could happen. Because you and I can live by faith in love with that hope that one day, that one day we will see him face to face. I'm going to leave you with this. This just came to my mind. One of my favorite verses. I have a lot of favorite verses. Galatians 2.20, as Paul says this, and here's how we need to live starting today. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. He's taken my punishment is what he says. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives in me. Be a disciple that makes disciples. Be living as a Christian so others can come alongside of you and you point them to Jesus Christ, the only hope this world has. That's who grace is, right, family? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks and praise that we are not 
like those that mourn without hope, as we're going to see in this fourth chapter of this awesome letter that you've given us, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But we, through our struggles, can live in hope. Father, there's so much to be thankful for as we sit back. If we really just sit back and come to you with thanks and praise, we look at our lives and we just complain. But let's just be thankful. Let's be thankful that we have been chosen. That you loved, loved us enough that you sent your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I do pray that if anyone hasn't received your son as their Lord and Savior, that they come to you, that they kneel before you, that they just surrender to you, Father. Father, let's be thankful that those of us that have trusted Jesus Christ were changed. We're no longer dead to our sins. We're no longer chasing idols of this world, but chasing the one and only true God. And Father, lastly, again, let's be confident, living in joy, pointing others to your son, Jesus Christ, so that people may say, I want to imitate that. We love you, Father, and we hope that us, as your church family, glorify you. Your son's name we pray. Amen. As always, guys, I love you. I love you at home. Have a great week.